Amen. Um, and the reading this evening, I'm going to read it because I'm just going to read a section of it. It's from Romans 12. This is like a launch passage. So if you want to pull it up, you can just to see uh, where it's from. But Romans 12, I'm going to read just verses 11 and 12, not the, the whole thing. So I'm going to look at another passage as well. This is almost like a first reading. And this is just this brilliant moment where Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And what Paul had noticed was this new group of Christians that they'd started really passionate Uh, But as time was going by, they were losing their passion. They were less on fire than they once were. And they were no longer quite praying with the same passion that they had. And they they were less committed to the things that they were committed to. And Paul writes to that group of people as a reminder. So I'm just going to read this to you. This is Romans 12, um, verse 11 and 12. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in, what's it say? Hope, let's try that again. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I love that. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. We just want to just pull that apart just for a moment and remind us what it's saying. You know, never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in passion. It's possible to go from being on fire and passionate, and as time goes by, disillusionment, not seeing something happen, or not believing it's going to happen very quickly, you just lose your fire. You start to become a little bit cool. And, it, and uh, Paul, um, Paul says, never be lacking in passion. Don't let the passion die out. Then he says, keep your spiritual fervor. I'd say it like this, keep your spiritual fire alive. Make sure you are surrounding yourself and you yourself are keeping the fire of faith alive in you. It's too easy to go cool with faith as we maybe don't see what we want God to do and the timing that we want to do it. So you start to become lukewarm. And Paul says, keep your spiritual fire alive. Keep the fire of God inside of you alive. Be joyful in hope. In other words, be persistent. Keep on hoping. There's a danger that when we don't see God answer a prayer as fast as we'd like him to do, we lose hope. We lose hope that he's not going to ever do it. And we become frustrated and fed up. And rather than being persistent with prayer on something, we just get a little bit fed up and we forget to pray about it. And then eventually it becomes just something that you've written down, maybe in a prayer journal or something. You, just, you don't look at it again. You, you've given up praying for that thing. And Paul says, no, be joyful in hope. Keep on hoping. In other words, there's always the possibility of resurrection. There's always the possibility that something could change right now. So if you were praying for something five years ago and you've not seen that prayer answered and you can still keep praying for it, keep going. Be persistent. Don't give up because there's always hope. Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you heard of this guy. He was a, Ger- a German theology teacher, and he was arrested in World War II and put in a concentration camp because he believed the Nazis uh, were not doing uh, what they should. So he gets get his own nation, arrests him, puts him in prison, and he comes up with this theology called the theology of hopers. He believed that because of the resurrection, what you and I get to do in prayer is reach through the cross. And reaching through the cross, we get to reach to Revelation chapter 21. 
uh, 22, where it says there would be no more suffering, no more pain, no more hardship. And he believed while he was in this concentration camp that even though his life had hit rock bottom, that he was being tortured for his faith and tortured for what he believed. He believed because of Jesus, he could reach through the cross and hope and grab hold of the future reality and pull it forward to where he was in prayer. He believed that hope was always on the table. And as long as hope is on the table, we can keep praying for a miracle. As I love it. This is what Paul says, be joyful in hope. Keep on hoping. Then he says, be patient in affliction. Look, be patient in trouble. Trouble will come. The question is, are you willing, Paul? You know, Paul saying, be patient in the affliction. Don't allow the affliction to start to shape your understanding of God. Don't let the trouble that you're in or the trouble that somebody else is in or the sickness that somebody else is in create your understanding of God. Let God be God and just keep praying and, and be persistent uh, in the affliction, in the trouble. And then it just ends this beautiful line, be faithful in prayer. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. If I'm honest, I have to read this passage quite regularly because I get fed up. I get disillusioned. Uh, I'm, I'm much better at focusing on what God hasn't done yet than what God has done. And it's very easy for me to stop being persistent in prayer because I'm an activist. And I, I like McDonald's because it's quick food. I, I love the instant. And God doesn't do things McDonald's style. Uh, God has a different way of working. And I get fed up with God when he doesn't move as fast as I want. And I read this and it reminds me, no, I need to continue to put hope on the table. I need to continue to be patient in the situation I'm in. And I need to continue to be faithful in prayer. God is far more faithful to us than we are to him in prayer, isn't he? Have you ever played a role-playing game like Dungeons and Dragons? played Dungeons and Dragons last year with uh, John Hudson. Can you imagine John Hudson playing Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, he was the warlock. And uh, it, was, it was pretty insane. If you've never played Dungeons and Dragons or a role-playing game, the general idea is, Nick, can I borrow you? Um, you have these rooms that you progress through and you have lots of dice with different uh, sides on them. Uh, and in uh, a particular room at the very end, there'll be this giant goblin. And this giant goblin, he's, he's a level seven goblin, okay? And you are, you know, you cannot get to the treasure behind the goblin unless you destroy the goblin. And the goblin always has the best weapons. And, and you, you friends, can you say, I can't, you are a little elf. And, and, and the way it works is as you start playing role-playing games, you always have like a level three elf and you have got to battle a level seven goblin or warlock or something, okay? And the, the problem is in, in the game, uh, as you get better, you kind of level up. But as you start playing, you, you have got no skills and, and you're lucky if you get a sword. Um, and in the game, you roll a dice. You've got to try and beat the, the, the what did I call him? A, go a goblin? No, he's not. Are you a goblin? Yeah, he's a goblin. I'm well, like a giant, to be honest. At a level seven. Okay. And I, I love your, your badass. You've gone up to level nine. Like, he's, he's, he's good. And um, if you want to get to the gold in the game, then you have got to beat the level nine uh, goblin. Okay. So do you want to attack your level nine goblin? Give it a go. Try and beat him. No, keep going, keep going. 
No. Did he? Oh, I'm so sorry. That is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Do you go back over here? Friends, there are some things we have to deal with in life that we cannot deal with. We're just not on the same level as them. There's something supernatural going on. And in our very nature of who we are and how we see the world, we can't beat the level nine warlock or goblin or whatever he is because we just don't have uh, what it takes. And in a uh, role-playing game, you get to... You get to level up. And in a role-playing game, there are moments where you get the opportunity to level up and actually have the chance of leveling up enough that you might be able to take on the level nine, okay? So a couple of questions for you. Um, what is God's son called? Jesus. Yes, come on. That's one of three. One of three. Uh, next question. Next question would be uh, when you pray... What is the word that you could use at the end of the prayer to kind of end it? Amen. Can we give her a round of applause? Two, no, if you get the third question right, you're going to get a level up, okay? Uh, this question is, um, who loves you the most, your dad or God? God. Can we give her a round of applause? And in the game, you get to level up. There we go. You've got a level 10 weapon right there. Please feel free, please feel free to take on the level nine goblin. Go for it. Oh, you could have gone harder than that. Hard, like, there we go. Brilliant. You can sit down. You don't get to keep my sword, no. Not at all, girl. Phew. One of the things I want to talk about this evening is just leveling up in prayer. Uh, why? The whole message of the last month has been really quite simple. Friends, it doesn't matter if you have little faith. God hears your prayer. It doesn't matter if your prayer is well worded. God hears your prayer. It doesn't matter if your prayer is more than a t just a tear. God hears your cry and your tears. God is the God that hears. The message of this month is nobody is more important or more special uh, than you are because you are a child of God and God hears the prayers of his children. Uh, these prayers that are floating around our heads, the whole, if you weren't here the week we did this, the idea was it doesn't matter uh, if you pray on your own in the morning, you can never pray on your own because you're always praying with the communion of saints. And when you pray, you get to pray with, pray with the Christians of Hong Kong. You get to pray with the Christians in the Syrian refugee camp. You get to pray with the Christians of 100 years ago, and you get to pray with the Christians of 200 years in the future. In prayer, it's like a time machine. Everybody's prayers get caught up in the heavenly realms when we pray. No one person's prayer is more important than anybody else's. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa or if you are Sandra Fennick, as a member of a morning congregation. It doesn't matter who you are. Your prayer is equally heard by a God that loves you. That's been the message. But it seems, once we start looking at the Bible, that there are moments where Jesus teaches that there is a moment that needs to be a leveling up. Like, there are some things to deal with in life that cannot be dealt with the normal way. 
And because they can't be dealt with the normal way, we need to know something or understand something or be a part of something so that we can level up as a disciple of Jesus so we can genuinely take on whatever it is, the stronghold, whatever spiritual word you want to use for it, the work of the evil one or just the trouble that surrounds you, whatever it is, um, to take it on, you're going to need to level up. And one of the things I just want to explore this evening is this idea of uh, unanswered prayers. For so many of us, uh, disappointment of when we prayed in the past and not seen an answer to that prayer has become so uh, toxic or poisonous for us because it has just shaped the way we see God. If God couldn't answer that prayer for me, then he obviously doesn't love me. Uh, if God couldn't answer that prayer for that person, then he obviously isn't powerful as he is. So we end up with this thing, you know, why does God allow suffering? And we end up in, in that space. But sometimes there's more going on. And I want to explore a little of this, I, this thing of unanswered prayer. Where is God? Where is Jesus when things do not look like they're going to work out the way that we hope they're going to work out? So that's what we're going to be exploring this evening. The question of unanswered prayer always hangs in the air, doesn't it? We can't try to answer it. Sometimes we've just got to be aware that there are times when the answer is, hmm. you know, week one of talking about prayer, I had a couple of folk from church say, but when are you, but when are you going to talk about unanswered prayer? When are you going to talk about it? I'm going to get to the end. I want to get to the end because I didn't, I didn't want to talk about unanswered prayer as a way of shaping our theology of prayer. I, I wanted God to shape our understanding of prayer and then we can approach unanswered prayer and say, but what about this one then? Because I think which you start with changes the way you see God and the way that you, you see yourself. So I would love us to spend uh, just a remainder of our time in a story in uh, Mark chapter 9. So we learn about prayer, not just because what is taught by Paul or by Peter or by Jesus or some of the other disciples. We learn about prayer, not just by what is taught, but what is shown, what, what we see in the way that Jesus or the disciples ask. So we're just going to read a little passage from Mark chapter nine. I'm going to read it through. I'm going to walk it through and hopefully just explain some of the stuff that's going on in here. So if you want to look it up, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. So I'm going to go from Mark chapter nine, verse 14. So when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd, crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So here you have the disciples and you have the teachers, the rabbinical teachers of the law. Just to make it clear, right from, right from the beginning, the disciples, who were they? The disciples were 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. What, we, what we're talking about here when we talk about the disciples are teenage boys. The youngest would have been John at the age of 14. The oldest, we think, would have been Peter at the age of about 24, 25. The disciples were kids. And uh, they're approaching and they see the disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So surrounding these teenage boys are these teachers of the law and they're arguing and shouting at the disciples. As soon as all the people saw Jesus... They were overwhelmed with wonder, and they run to greet him. Rabbi Jesus has appeared. Verse 16. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him from his speech. 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Let's just pause there for a moment. Here you have a man. He has heard that in Jesus there is miracles and there are signs and wonders of the kingdom of God. And he is keen to see his son healed. So he brings his son to church. He's got his son to church. He was told if you were to take your son to church, then the Christians will pray and there'll be a miracle. So he's brought his son to church and he's got him into the congregation and somebody has prayed for him and it hasn't worked. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Can you imagine how he feels having brought his son to church? I got him to church. I got him there. I got him through the door. We made it. It was raining outside. It was a difficult Sunday to get to church, but we we made it. And then we invited these disciples of Jesus to pray and, and nothing happened. He's disappointed. He is so disappointed. He thought this was gonna be it. He thought he was going to see the miracle that they've been dreaming and praying about, but he didn't. And he is disappointed. How many of us are similar to this guy? There's been something we've been praying for. And we'd, we'd hoped if we, got, if we got to this conference or if we got to this person or to that particular person, if I could just be prayed for by this individual, then there might be a miracle. And we get prayed for and and nothing seems to change. Nothing changes and you just end up disappointed. We end up asking, why not God? Because to be fair, it's a good thing to pray for, isn't it? I could understand if the man turned up to church and said, I'm praying for a Ferrari. And I asked your disciples, would they pray that I might get a brand new Ferrari? You you can imagine Jesus at that point going, mate, (laughs) you've lost it. But no, he's praying for something really genuine and good, isn't he? At no point would you say uh, praying for a boy to be set free from epilepsy is wrong. In fact, you would say, isn't that what we're about? Surely out of all the prayers, that is one that would say, why God would you not answer that prayer? Why God would you not answer that prayer? Yeah, God, you might not want to give me the Ferrari, but please would you heal my son of the epilepsy? So you can see that he's asking a good question. You know, one of the reasons why sometimes we don't have answers to our prayer is some of the times our prayer are just selfish. Sometimes they uh, are just not needed. We're asking for what we want, not what we need. Sometimes we're asking for outrageous uh, things. Sometimes we're disappointed. Sometimes when we bring someone to be healed and they're not, it rocks our faith, doesn't it? I can imagine this man's brought his boy into church and he's hoping there's going to be a miracle and the disciples pray for him and then there isn't and it just rocks this man's faith why did I even bother what made me think that this Jesus this God Yahweh could possibly do what he claims to do you can imagine at this point if if the man walked out the door at this point he would have left very disillusioned and his faith would have hit rock bottom sometimes we don't see breakthrough and we give up or we fall out blaming other people. The reason you weren't healed is because you're a sinner. Uh, the reason I'm going to the reason you weren't healed, you were sleeping around. Like we we love coming up with like super spiritual reasons why there might have not been a miracle. It's your fault 
because you were, yeah, you were having those dirty thoughts. Therefore, that's why you weren't healed. We love to come up with reasons. And what we've got here is this incredible moment where Jesus is coming along. He sees his disciples surrounded by these religious teachers who are arguing. And you can imagine them all wanting like their peace in why the miracle didn't happen. This argument is kicking off. Sometimes we don't see breakthrough and we give up. And sometimes we fall out blaming people why. We end up pointing the finger and saying, that's why the miracle didn't happen. And, and in reality, that's, all we're trying to do is diagnose a problem, aren't we? And um, I had a friend who has been prayed for long term about something. And he I was told by the people that were praying for him that the reason he wasn't seeing a miracle uh, was a, because of a particular thing in his life. And all it did was push him further away from God rather than bring him closer to the God that loved him. Sometimes that diagnosing a problem just pushes people further away rather than pulling them to Jesus. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. The man is frustrated and he's done really. You can imagine him. I don't know where I'm going to turn. I don't know where I'm going to go now. This, this was the moment. Then Jesus says in verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I'm not sure what to do with that line. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, is he shouting at his disciples? Is he shouting at the crowd? Is he shouting at the man? Is he shouting at the boy? Is he just shouting at everybody? I'm not entirely sure. I've looked at the Greek and I think it could be just shouting at everybody that everybody has missed the point. I'm not entirely sure. But bring me the boy, he says. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it hum uh, immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And he responds from childhood. Since he was a little baby boy. Some things are just so uh, systemically rooted and messed up. Uh, we always used to, well, we all still do, but pray with our kids at bedtime. And Daisy would often pray that Jesus would bring world peace. And I'd sit there going, yes and amen, Daisy. But do you know how complicated that is, actually? Like when you have got a dictator in one nation and you've got uh, a country with oil that is wanted by that nation, and then you have this diplomatic issue over here, that it's just complex. And praying, God, would there be peace? And God's going, do you know what that would mean? Like, do you know how many people's... Um, uh, lives would have to be, you know, a dictator is obviously praying, God make me more powerful. Like it's complex, these things. One, one person's praying one thing and another person's praying another. Some things are just complicated. Some issues are just so stubborn and ingrained. Some situations are complex and not simple to resolve. Some issues are so old, they've affected the whole order of things. Some things are just not simple. Jesus, I brought my son to be prayed for by your disciples and they couldn't do it. How long has your boy been sick? All the time he's been alive. 
Like from the moment he was born, he's, he's been sick with this epilepsy. All of his life, he's had this same issue. You can imagine the effect that this has had on the way the boy walks, the way the boy stands, the way the boy thinks. It affects how the family engage with him. There's just so many issues involved here. It's not a simple situation. And it's, it's sim- certainly more complex than a very simple prayer. Sometimes the situation that we're facing is so complex. The simple prayer of God, would you bring peace? In, in some ways, I'm like, that's, that's as simple as it is, Lord. But sometimes it's just complex. And things need untangling and pulling apart and looking at and explored. It's not as straightforward as just one diagnosis. It's complex. These things are complex. Some issues are stubborn and ingrained. Morris yesterday in the kitchen cleaning the the cooker. There was no way Morris could go in. Our cooker's called the Dominator, by the way. I mean, who names their cooker? But our cooker's called the Dominator. And the Dominator has not been cleaned in many a year. And the grease is stubborn. There's no way that they could simply walk into that kitchen uh, with a toothbrush, give it a little what my mum would describe as a tittle-tattle, and then walk away and leave it. Some things need elbow grease. Some things need persistence and they need hard work. Some things need more than a simple prayer. There's something else going on that needs to be broken. And unless something else happens, then we are not going to see the breakthrough. Some things need something of strength to deal with it. How long has your boy been like this? Since he was a kid, he answered. He has uh, thrown him into the fire. He's thrown him into the water and it's trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. If you can. Really, that's what you believe? If? You can see this guy is just, he's not sure anymore. He's quite disillusioned because the disciples haven't been able to heal. So is this guy going to be able to do it? If you can. So my favorite bits of the Bible kind of coming up now. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for who believes, Jesus responds. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Some of us have prayed and we've not seen change. We've we've been persistent in prayer and still the situation hasn't changed. We may have had people prophesy for us over a particular situation and it's just nothing's changing nothing's being transformed and it gets you to a place where you're like I'm not sure what I think anymore if I'm honest I have more doubts now than I do have faith what what do I do and I love just this honesty of the man I do believe help me overcome my unbelief And I wonder if that line for some of us becomes the prayer that we need to be praying. Some of us are, we are are so disappointed that maybe this line is the prayer that we, we need to be praying. God, I don't have much in me to pray anymore. I have faith, but help me overcome my unbelief. For some of us, maybe the prayer is, God, would you help me overcome my disappointment? Would you help me overcome my frustration? Would you help me overcome how I feel towards you and feel towards prayer and what the potential of hope is? Could you just help me, Lord? Some of us, that might be the prayer. If you are someone who is so frustrated with God, 
Maybe your prayer, stop praying for everything else. Maybe just start praying, God, would you help me overcome my unbelief? Pray a simple prayer like that. Immediately the voice of the Father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was now running to the scene, it's like Jesus panics. Uh, more crowds are dangerous for Jesus because he doesn't want people to know quite yet who he is. He loves doing things in the secret so the word doesn't get out of who he really is because he knows if the word gets out, they're going to crucify him sooner than what he, he wants to be crucified. Okay, So he very quickly responds. It says, he rebukes the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed with him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he is dead. Oh, it's just hit the fan. The man had brought his boy to the disciples. They'd prayed and nothing happened. This time, the rabbi has prayed for the boy and it's got worse. It would have been better if the rabbi hadn't gone anywhere near the boy because the boy has now fallen to the ground and he looks dead. Everybody's like, what have you done? Like, you've broken him. I don't, there's, there's times when I've been praying for a situation and been persistent in prayer. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you're going, would it just get like one like percent better? Like if it could get one percent better and it doesn't even do that, it gets 10 percent worse. Have you ever been praying for something going, Lord, would you have breakthrough here? And it seems the more you pray, the worse the situation gets. Have you ever had that? No, I, I have. I've been praying for a number of friends of mine who are in active addiction. And it seems every time we pray for some of them, they just relapse harder and they relapse for longer. And you're like, Lord, what are you doing right now? Come on, you're killing me. You're meant to be the one that answers my prayer and you're just making it worse. This is incredible little moment. It's like game over. It's done. It's finished. Some things look dead and we give up. You can imagine at this moment, the dad raising up his hands, I'm, I'm out of here. God, if, if this is what you're really like, I've had enough with you. You can imagine if, if at this moment, the dad walked out the church door, he would be disillusioned with prayer and he'd be disillusioned with God. God just killed my boy. If, if this was the end of the story, then you can imagine him walking away fed up. I've had enough. I'm done. I prayed and nothing happened. In fact, it just got worse. And it's in this moment that we, if we end here, we stop here. This is where we end up with that. Why, why is God so cruel? Why is God so cruel? If this is where you end the story. It's why is God, why does he allow suffering like this? Why doesn't God do something? Verse 27, you ready? But, say but, but, but. Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not do this? Why could we not drive out that spirit? But when it looked like it was at its worst, there is always 
hope. Let me just remind you the Romans. Never be lacking in passion, uh, but keep your spiritual fire. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Don't give up. Always have hope on the table that something could change. Always have hope on the table. The moment you remove hope from the table, the story looks hopeless. The disciples prayed and nothing happened. The rabbi prayed and it killed him. Like, if you take hope off the table, it looks disastrous. But when hope is on the table, when hope is on the table, Jesus reaches out his hand and lifts him to his feet and he stands up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why, shouldn't, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replies, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Some translations just simply say prayer. Some say prayer and fasting. That's a translation of the particular Greek word that's behind it that's been broken down into these two things, prayer and fasting. So if you have a translation that just says prayer, it's because the way they've translated that phrase. But it's like Jesus says, disciples, like there are some things that are so complex an issue that they're not resolved overnight with a very simple prayer. Some things need you to level up in your discipleship. Some things need you to grow and mature in your faith so that there is a leveling up. Um, so let me just look at these two things for a moment. It says, uh, this kind can come out only by prayer and by fasting. Can we just look at the, the prayer bit for a moment? And in this, I want to pull together some of the things we've talked about over previous weeks to kind of bring this together. Friends, what happens in private affects the public. What happens in private affects the public. And when we get into the fight, it is too late to prepare for the fight. I'm um, very good at praying immediately when there is a problem. I, you know, a problem emerges and I, I respond. If you are a footballer and you are playing uh, in the final of the World Cup, you don't start practicing 20 minutes before you're on pitch. It's too late. Like if you've not practiced the year before every day, it's too late. If you're a boxer and you're about to go in the boxing ring, and you've not even practiced, you've not even put the gloves on yet, and it's 20 minutes beforehand, you turn to your mate and say, teach me a few moves. Friends, it's, it's just too late. And can I just remind you, um, does anybody know where Jesus has just been before this story? Anybody want to take a punt where Jesus has been before this story? If you've got your Bible open, you can zip backwards a little bit. Anybody know where Jesus has been? He was praying. Where? On a mountain. In fact, he was praying with Moses and Elijah. I mean, he was hanging out with the whole band. Right? The Beatles were put back together again. Jesus has been up on the mountain. When Jesus goes up on mountains, there is this rhythm. You will, you will generally not see a miracle in Jesus' life unless beforehand he, he reads that he spent some time on the mountain. Jesus retreats into the wilderness to advance into a problem. What we love to do is to advance into a problem without actually taking the time to retreat in prayer with God. When, when Jesus says to the disciples, some things are just prayed for and it's dealt with, but some things are so complex an issue, you have to pray and you have to fast beforehand. What he's saying is, what you do in the private has influence on what now happens in the public as you pray for a miracle. Uh, and I just, for me, I want the quick fix. 
I don't want to do the, the, the retreat. I don't want to do the fasting. Uh, I don't want to do, take, even take the time to go up the mountain. I'd rather sit at the bottom of the mountain. But, but Jesus takes time with his dad to build his relationship with dad so that when he comes before a problem, he can speak with authority over it. Prayer is about reconnecting with the one that we have disconnected with. Prayer is about reconnecting with the one that we have disconnected with. Only by deep connection can we see breakthrough. Jesus says some things are so complex and so difficult, what you need is a level up where you beforehand have spent time in prayer and fasting. And then as you approach it, you will approach it differently because you have an awareness maybe you didn't have before. You have a connection with God maybe that you didn't have before. And he says some things like this are only dealt with with prayer and fasting. Let's just talk about fasting for a minute. Raf, can I borrow you for a second? Um, just want to come over here. Some of us, uh, we think fasting is like trying to get God's arm, twisting up his back and saying, God, I'm not, I'm genuinely not hurting you, am I? Are you, are you faking it? Oh, wait, okay. Oh, he's softy. Um, for some of us, prayer, fasting, feels like we're trying to twist God's arm. God, I'm being so good. I'm not eating a meal today. In fact, I've not eaten three meals today. I'm just trying to twist your arm to convince you, God, to answer my prayer. It's like we're trying to blackmail God. Look how holy I am. I'm, I want to blackmail you. That isn't what fasting is. Uh, you can sit back down. Fasting isn't a hunger strike in protest for something. We, we don't fast to protest to God over something. So when we fast, it's not, we're not twisting God's arm. We're not trying to convince him of anything. When we fast, we're not trying to protest with him. Fasting is much more profound than that. Fasting is when we deny ourselves and we disconnect from the idea of limits. In denying ourselves, we reconnect with God. Fasting reduces the influence of our self-will and invites the Holy Spirit to do more intense, powerful work in us. Fasting gives us a deeper hunger for God. Fasting is about not just not eating a meal. If you, if you fasted tomorrow, you said, I'm not going to eat tomorrow, Chris. I'm going to go to work. And what you did is you went to work. You didn't have your lunch break, but you just carried on working. And you uh, neglected breakfast, your lunch, and your evening meal. And in that time, you didn't do anything different. You just worked harder. All you're doing is a weird spiritual diet. Fasting isn't just not eating. Fasting is taking that time of preparation of that meal, the eating of that meal, and the washing up of that meal, and saying, this is extra time and dedication to you, Lord. Fasting is saying, I'm, I'm taking extra time and care to be with you today because I'm desperate to hear you over these situations that I'm surrounded by. So when Jesus says there are some things that are only dealt with in prayer and fasting, I think it's because Jesus knows that when we've prayed and we fast and we've spent time with God, we have a slightly different perspective on things. And Jesus certainly has a different perspective on the issue with the boy than the disciples had. Some things need more than just prayer. It, it needs time with God in the private so we can retreat to then advance and see breakthrough. And I suppose the challenge for some of us is if you want to level up in your faith, if you want to go to another level, um, the danger is then we get into that whole faith and works thing, don't we? 
the, the more I do these spiritual things, the more than God, no, it doesn't work like that. It's, we, we don't fast to earn God's approval. We don't fast to become more spiritual people. We fast to take extra time with God and say, God, would you influence me in a way? I don't want the world to influence me. I don't want my belly to influence me. I want you to influence me. I've been on a diet since I got back from America because I really did eat all the burgers. And I was genuinely concerned, not that I wouldn't fit in my jeans, but that I wouldn't fit into my stormtrooper armor. And uh, those that know me, that was a concern that I may not get into my stormtrooper armor. So I, I went on a uh, radical diet, uh, which involved me not eating chocolate, not drinking fizzy drinks, and trying to have red milk, not green milk. I did all of that stuff. And what, what's been happening is I've been so hungry by 10.30 in the morning. It's like I, I'm starving. I, I get to 10.30 tomorrow and I'm absolutely starving. And when you're not eating the way that you would usually do, it, it brings you to a place of, oh my gosh, how much food was I eating? Like how much was I consuming from everything else to make myself feel well? When we don't eat, uh, we reconnect with our bodies in a way that we maybe didn't connect before. It becomes a, an awareness of our surroundings in a way that we weren't before. So Jesus says some things need to level up through prayer and fasting. And uh, we don't talk much about prayer and fasting. Uh, so I just want to give a little bit of uh, time we're on. I just want to give you three little like tips about fasting. And I got these from my friend, John and James Harding's grandma. Okay, This is what she taught me when I was 17 years old. First, she said, if you're going to run a marathon, don't fast the day before. Be sensible about when you fast. Like when you fast is really important. If you are a GP and you know that Wednesdays is your bad day because you have all those horrid patients coming in on that particular day, you might not fast on that Wednesday because you know you need to be on your A game. It might be that you've got a performance or a show that you're doing. You know Friday is not a great day for me to fast because I've got this thing in the evening. It's a long day. But like, be sensible about when you fast. Uh, choose a day where it's not going to affect the way that you are grumpy with everybody else around you, okay? So choose when you do it wisely. Secondly, take it steady. Don't just jump in. Like, I've never fasted before, but I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm not even going to have my toast at bedtime. Like, take it steady. You might say, do you know what? I'm not used to fasting, so I'm, I'm just going to not have my lunch. I'll have a breakfast. I have my evening meal, but I'm not going to eat at lunchtime. And it might be a way of stepping into fasting in a way. Because I think if you jumped all the way in, you probably got the sugar shakes by about 11 o'clock. And then you're feeling lightheaded. And then you're home from work by 1 o'clock. And what have you achieved? So sometimes it's saying, I'm going I'm to just lose a meal. And in that losing a meal, uh, you can take it to, to pray. The, the third thing uh, that she said to me was, um, it's okay to drink water. Uh, you don't have to fast completely everything. You can drink water. In fact, friends, I'd say drink water. Uh, you can go longer not eating a meal if you're drinking enough water. So I just encourage you to, to do that, to drink. So to choose when you fast, uh, to choose how long you fast well, and to make sure you are drinking enough, uh, that you are getting the fluids uh, that you need. And I'd love to just encourage you to, to give it a go. Uh, not because it will earn you anything, but because it makes you more aware of God and more aware and trusting him. So why isn't prayer answered? Sometimes we pray and we're praying for something that we want and not something we need. Sometimes we pray and God says it's just not yet. Be persistent. Keep going. There's something else to be prayed through. Sometimes God says that's just not the plan. 
this thing you're praying for, actually, there's a bigger thing going on. This is just not the plan. Spend time with me and I'll tell you what the plan is. I'm not secret. I'm not keeping it from you. But trust me, there's a, there's a bigger plan. Sometimes the evil one frustrates things. Sometimes the evil one is messing about and confusing things. And sometimes it's not God saying no. It's the evil one saying, I'm not having it. I'm going to cause problems here. Sometimes it's just the consequences of our sin. Sometimes we've done something and we're saying, God, you know, when I was pulled over for speeding in America in the summer, no, no amount of prayer ministry over the police officer in the street, please, you know, don't find me. Uh, I had, there's a consequence to my sin. There was a fine I had to pay and he wasn't having it and asked me to stop praying for him. Um, I didn't really do that. But sometimes there's just a consequence. And I have, to, I have to take that consequence and understand that there is a consequence that I'm now living out. Sometimes the miracle is death and eternal life. Sometimes the miracle is salvation. Sometimes the miracle is knowing that, that person is now with God, no longer in pain. Sometimes God has a bigger picture. Sometimes there is something to learn. Sometimes there is a unknown. We just don't know. I don't get it. I, I can't see why this is even a problem. I just don't know, Lord. Is it a no? Is it a not yet? I'm not sure. We just can't see. Sometimes our prayer contradicts the prayer of another person. You've got the farmer over that way praying for, sun uh, for weather, uh, rain. You've got this holiday maker over here is praying for sunshine. Like, What does God do? Does he give rain? Does he give sunshine? Sometimes things are just not straightforward. And sometimes we need to level up with prayer and fasting. Sometimes we need to grow in our spiritual disciplines and our relationship with God. Prayer and fasting is investing into our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to land us uh, there. But what I'd love us to do is I'd love us to spend some time praying into uh, that whole thing about disappointments. And uh, one of the things that will hold us back more than anything is, is the disappointment. If the dad had walked out the moment the miracle hadn't happened, that would have changed everything for him. And I'd love us to spend some time just praying into disappointments that we might say, God, would you help me have hope in the face of the disappointments that I've had? I'd love us to kind of pray into that. So um, I'm going to, I'll just pray. But then I'd love us to get into little groups of threes and fours, something like that. Just be honest with each other quickly about the disappointments that you hold. It might be that something is so painful a disappointment that you, you, you can't even word it. And you might just want to say, Actually, I, I don't want to say what my disappointment is, but it's real. And that, that is enough. And then it'd be great just to pray for each other together. You don't have to pick people off one by one, but together just pray into those disillusionments. Does that sound all right? Shall we pray? Uh, shall we stand, sorry, if you're willing and able? Uh, Lord, we, we have more questions than answers at times. There are some times when our response is, I have faith, but Lord, help me with my unbelief. Sometimes, Lord, we have been really damaged by our disillusionment and our frustrations and our unanswered prayers, and that's really affecting our relationship with you. So, Lord, we want to be honest about that. Lord, would you put hope back on the table? Would you put hope back on the table? And Lord, where hope has been removed and we just feel sick inside with frustration. What are you doing, Lord? Father, would you speak a fresh word over us, we pray. Speak a fresh word over us, we pray. Can I encourage you to get into little groups, maybe threes and fours? 
and just pray for each other. Um, mixed